This is Not Quite Dead, a gal pal horror movie discussion podcast. We do deep dives on our favorite scary movies, but sometimes we really just like to keep it shallow. I'm your host, Kate. I'm Megan. Get ready for all the spoilers. Did you grow up watching Ghostbusters? Actually, I didn't. This movie came out the year I was born. And I don't think I had ever seen it the whole way through until we recorded. I mean, watched it for recording. Yeah. Oh, that's so funny. I feel like when I was a kid, it was on TV all the time. And so I had a very like TV movie experience of this where I had a feeling of like, oh, maybe I've never actually sat and watched this all the way through with no breaks because, you know, it's on AMC or TNT or whatever, and you start watching it when it's already 30 minutes of Fast Fire or whatever, and there's a million commercial breaks, and it takes like four hours to watch it. Yeah, I feel a little like a traitor to my generation. I This movie, like franchise-wise, I was into. I mean, I loved Ecto Cooler, the great high-sea beverage <laughs> at the time. <laughs> And I watched the cartoon. I, I I love the cartoon. Actually, it was a good cartoon. But uh, the movie, I wasn't I wasn't so into watching it for this podcast and really <laughs> paying attention to it, start to finish, <laughs> gave me a much different impression of this movie than I think was just part of my brain as part of our cultural consciousness, like. I mean, it's been around for so long at this point that there are sequels and we've seen not like quite a reboot, but we've seen them try to reboot it like a couple times just in the last like five years or so. And uh, sitting and watching it, I was like, oh, yeah, this is just an 80s comedy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, it's described as a comedy horror, uh, but it it's really just like a comedy with some ghosts in it it's very light on the horror we are kicking off a new season with ghostbusters are you gonna call <laughs> maybe the ghostbusters <laughs> yeah i guess in this movie they they posit that ghosts are in fact real and that you can have an actual profession of getting rid of them which would be kind of fun i guess <laughs> I guess so. It's funny that there's not like more competition in the ghost busting space. <laughs> I mean, you have these like four working class guys who seem to like not really enjoy busting ghosts. No, they're not actually very good at it either. I'm I you're right. I am surprised somebody couldn't come in and do a better job. But these bozos have been studying this stuff with like research grants and they they work at a university, so they know they're ghosts. Actor um, Ivan Reitman, he he is known for other comedies. He did Stripes. He did Kindergarten Cop. Once I saw that, I was like, oh, yeah, the tone makes sense. Yeah, totally. <laughs> I, I actually bought this movie as part of a 80s comedy. Actually, I don't know if it was just comedy. It was it was 10 80s movies, 10 80s classics for 50 bucks. I was like, heck yeah, I'm doing it now. I own Stripes and the Blue Lagoon. 
and I forget what else. Fright Night. Fright Night was in there. It was a good good pack. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, it is it is an eighties movie. It is its humor is quite different from what we're used to nowadays. Um, there's mm-hmm. definitely some stuff in there that I don't think has aged very well, but yeah, it's totally a throwback. It, it, I, I found it fun. I found it fun to give it a go for really the first time in a totally different decade uh, where this movie would be very different. I actually haven't seen the new one. Have you? I have not seen Ghostbusters Afterlife, which is the newest one that came out in 2021. That's the one that's got Finn Wolfhard and I think Paul, Paul Rudd is Rudd, in it. Yeah. Yeah, have not seen that one. I did watch the Lady Ghostbusters that was much, much <laughs> maligned when it came out. <laughs> the one with the uh, all the women was great. <laughs> I actually really enjoyed that movie. <laughs> oh, okay. That's cool. Yeah. Well, maybe I'll give it a shot. <laughs> Let's get into the plot summary so we can keep talking. Okay. Ghostbusters is set in 1980s New York, where we have four guys who are taking on the ghosts of New York City, and they are fighting small ghosts across the city. Sigourney Weaver's character, named Dana, reaches out to the gang because she has what seems like a bigger paranormal entity that is taking over her apartment. And he's like just a lot of ghost busting. (laughs) (laughs) It's a lot of ghost busting and uh, the theme song played over and over. Oh my gosh. The theme song. All right. Yeah. Let's, let's talk about the music here. Let's do it. Um, I, I will give this movie credit that this is maybe one of the best theme songs ever written for a movie. Hmm. I have to, I have to think about that one for a second. I'm going to go with it because I can't think of any other ones that are better right now. But, you know, I'm sure the audience can can uh, argue with us about that on our blog. But I think you're right. I think it is the best theme song ever written for a movie. I mean, the little like riff. <laughs> Once you hear the riff, it like makes you want to dance. And I think the song is better than the movie is. That's my hot take. Oh, so <laughs> spicy. I do love just dancing to it. When, you know, that game, Just Dance, <laughs> that we love mm-hmm. so much. It, <laughs> yes. it is in there. <laughs> and it does have a cute little dance to go with it. <laughs> yes. Dancing to it in Just Dance is super fun. It's a really long song. I think it's like six plus minutes long. Like they just did not know <laughs> when to cut it off. <laughs> That's probably good because they used it so many times. You know, it gave them more to work with. <laughs> they played this song four times in this movie. Oh, wow. That's a lot, actually. It's kind of an over-reliance on the theme song, which I credit to how good the theme song is. It's sort of like Lost Boys. Uh, when they hired that singer, I can't remember his name off the top of my head, but they basically just had him play an entire song. It feels like, <laughs> well, we paid for this. We got to use it. <laughs> <laughs> Didn't the song get pretty high up on the the charts when it came out number one yeah number one on the billboard (laughs) charts people fucking loved it the song so much for good reason um i think that my favorite part in the movie is when they've got 
the montage of their ghost busting success song playing over it like it's just you know their phones ringing off the hook and they've got their hearse ghost mobile (laughs) I love that car I love that car it's so cool I know what is up with New York just being plastered with ghosts (laughs) how did this happen and is New York the only place like that if I'm going to be serious about it for a second, it's got a really high population density and it's one of the oldest cities, True. like like urban cities in the U.S. So I feel like ghosts would be concentrated there. Okay, that's fair. Now, what if you're not being serious for a minute? If I'm not being serious, then I think that there's a lot of fun locations to shoot at <laughs> in a place like New York, right? Because they've got like the the public library oh, yeah. and they've got, you know, all of these like um, hotels and I, everyone, of course, like knows the, the end of the movie, right? The Stay Puffed Marshmallow yes. Man pulling a Godzilla around all these skyscrapers, like it's like New York is like a pretty good set piece for something like this. It is a good set piece. And I, I enjoyed all of the set pieces. I thought the apartment, uh, once it's ripped open, is just terrifying. It's it's really cool looking. Mm-hmm. Yeah, very gothic and and old. Like it's been there for a long time. We do find out that that apartment was built by somebody who studied the occult, which Makes sense why that's the beacon of all of our pandemonium, ghost pandemonium, to be specific. The the music is maybe a little unremarkable, except for the theme song. Although yeah. I will note that one time in the movie where there's another topical ghost song. <laughs> yeah. I remember hearing it and just thinking, that's not the theme song. Why are they playing this? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Exactly. You hear it and you want the theme song. And of course, this other song is like lost to time and memory. Like no one knows <laughs> this other song. They only know the theme song. It's true. I couldn't tell you what it said. It's a pretty standard 80s soundtrack. 80s uh, score and soundtrack, right? So it's mostly score, but there's like one or two songs that are catchy and really only one song that drives the soundtrack. We need to talk about some of the people in this movie. Is a like stacked cast for the 80s. Yeah, all of the Hollywood favorites, all of the SNL favorites are in this movie. Mm-hmm. And we get a small role with Sigourney Weaver. I think this is this is the second time she's been in a movie we've talked about. Next week, she's going to be featured in the movie we talk about. She comes up a lot. <laughs> yes, I know. She's a scream queen. I love it. Yeah. I'm glad that we're getting more Sigourney time because she is such a babe in this movie. And she has little tolerance for Bill Murray's. Peter Venkman character, which I can appreciate, even though she does relent at the end. I guess that's the way it goes in 80s movies. Yeah, we'll have to talk about that later. (laughs) (laughs) But it does have Bill Murray in it, and uh, Harold Ramis and Dan Aykroyd, uh, who wrote it. Um, Ramis and Aykroyd wrote this movie. Yeah, Aykroyd is a bit of a bit of a, a believer in this stuff. Like he has an interest in in ghosts and the occult and and so um 
he wrote this almost as an homage to that. Um, I'm sure he had a lot of fun writing it, but knowing that going in kind of twinged my opinion of it, you know, of the movie. I don't know if, if that mattered to you or not. You know, I didn't know that before watching it. It was something I um I learned just in prepping for this episode. I <laughs> I think it's really interesting that he is kind of a believer of the occult and ghosts and he originally wrote this like kind of sci-fi epic movie of them traveling <laughs> through time to like fight <laughs> ghosts and the studio was like that sounds expensive. How about you spend um a lot less money on that and just shoot it in New York. <laughs> Which is expensive in another way, but I guess, yeah, no, not, not uh, quite as expensive um, special effects wise, which were really great in this movie. It's definitely really good into the special effects. Yeah. I have to call it that Rick Moranis is in this. I know. I love Rick Moranis. I grew up watching him in like Honey, I Shrunk the Kids and he, he, he's always played a funny, funny side guy, or as a as a lead, he is just kind of like lost. <laughs> so good, and I don't think I ever realized before doing this start to finish rewatch that he was a character in this movie, um, and he immediately became one of my favorite characters in this movie. I was like, please give me like <laughs> ten times the Rick Moranis. He is so funny in this. I also want to mention um, Janine Melnitz, who is oh, yeah. the Ghostbusters receptionist. She's so punchy and so funny, played by uh, Annie Potts. She's a really great counter to those guys. She's she's kind of a no nonsense girl, and and they are the opposite. They are buffoons. They they get their job done, but barely, and they make a fucking mess <laughs> while they do it. Oh my gosh, they do. I mean, we have these three guys who are like ostensibly like academics i mean they we see them at the beginning of the movie they get kicked out is their research grants and uh ernie hudson who we haven't mentioned yet um eventually joins them and he's just seems like he's just looking for a job yeah he <laughs> he's seems like a straight man yeah yep yeah he's another yeah. straight man to these three like kind of bumbling former academics <laughs> <laughs> and uh so between uh, Winston, um, Ernie Hudson's character, and Janine feels like uh, the audience kind of side-eyeing these characters sometimes. <laughs> yes. Yeah. This was a, a little gem I picked out. The voice of Gozer. I was really curious who that was because it was such a, it's such a weird voice that you, you hear in fantastical movies. I, there's a similar voice in like Legend. And it was very obviously not coming from the actress who played Gozer. The voice of Gozer was played by Patty Edwards, who played uh, Flotsam and Jetsam from The Little Mermaid. Talk about the worst character in this movie. Oh, yeah. Let's talk about Bill Murray. <laughs> oh, my God. I hate him. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Okay. So let's, let's, let's talk about Bill Murray really quick. Now, do we hate Bill Murray or do we hate Venkman? Because I actually like Bill Murray. <laughs> like Bill Murray in very specific movies, like Wes Anderson movies. Yes. I like I like Life Aquatic um with Steve Zizou. And I um I love Rushmore. 
I think Rushmore is his best role. I think he's great in that movie. Uh, but whenever he is like playing like a love interest or something, I'm always like, no, stop. <laughs> he has no business playing a leading man. And and this was this was Bill Murray in his prime. He's like balding. He has, you know, a very shapeless body. He's doesn't work out. <laughs> he has is pockmarked. He just doesn't have like traditionally attractive features. And yet here he is winning over Sigourney Weaver of all people <laughs> while being a creep. I know. He's so lecherous and terrible in this movie. Um, I'll give his um, appearance a pass because, sure, sometimes um, potato men need to be given an of opportunity course. to be represented <laughs> as leading men. <laughs> but I just cannot get over how dry and, like, gross he kind of is towards Dana's character this whole movie. Like, he is just coming onto her so aggressively when she's so obviously not interested. And this is totally my like 2020s sensibility watching this movie. Right. <laughs> that was released in 1984. Like we didn't think about things like that in 1984. We we're like, oh, you just got to be relentless. And he is relentless in this movie. I'm still laughing about Potato Man, but um, <laughs> yeah, maybe in the 80s, women just liked being harassed, right? Isn't that isn't that just how it was in the 80s? <laughs> or we at least liked it as a storytelling. I know. Trope. I mean, <laughs> it's so gross. I I was so uncomfortable with that the whole movie, and I and I thought okay, he's definitely not going to get her because there's nothing he is doing to entice her to change her mind. Or or he will change and then they will get together. But this doesn't happen. He has no arc <laughs> and he gets no. what he wants. <laughs> I know. It's like a triumph of a mediocre man. Like, yeah. I just don't, I don't get it. Like, she's so cool she has like a really nice apartment like she's a business lady um she's living by herself in new york city her sneakers on with her <laughs> skirt suit you know she's doing the whole thing and she calls the ghostbusters because she opens her fridge and there's a portal to a demon dimension <laughs> and when Venkman shows up to check out her apartment, he is so dismissive of her the whole time. And I'm like, dude, your job is to catch ghosts. Like, yeah. <laughs> you should maybe hear her out. I don't know. Like, I just found his character to be so tiresome that I was, like, shocked when I was reading about part of the reason why people love this movie so much is, like, because of Bill Murray. <laughs> Well, I mean, if they had just gotten rid of this aspect of his character, I would have been fine with him. I mean, I don't know why there had to be a love interest anyway. There really didn't. It was it felt like it felt like a, a way to allow him to be lecherous because maybe that was the humor at the I mean, it probably, you know, we all were we all have seen 80s movies. I mean, that's just kind of what it was. 
right? It was what it was, but. This is true. This is true. Because I do think a lot of 80s movies have that like woman rolling her eyes as like a guy <laughs> keeps showing up at her house, right? And then Kinda caving. Thing, so. Yeah. Yeah. And then, and then it turns like, out she's like, oh, this is what I wanted the whole time. I was just playing with, you, you know, then you get, <laughs> then you start training men to do this, <laughs> causing other problems. I know. It's a horrible negative feedback loop. <laughs> but he doesn't just start off being like this with her. It starts from the beginning. Like he is just shitty to all women. <laughs> yes, I know. Okay. I think that this is also why I like Janine so much is because- yes. Um, she's like not sexualized by the guys and like not really harassed by Venkman. She would not put up with it at all. But at the beginning, when he is doing that um, psychic aptitude test or whatever it is with that couple, and he's just like giving the woman all of the passes and all of the credit. <laughs> <laughs> and telling her how good she is at this and that she must mm-hmm. be psychic. And it's it's really gross. Like, he, he does it to try to get a date out of it. It's so unprofessional. Like, he, he should be barred from the university. <laughs> <laughs> I was um, sketching out the archetypes of our four main guys, um, Benkman, um, Aegon, Ray, and Winston. Venkman, I was just like, ladies, man, comedic asshole. Like, he's so dry. He is an asshole because he's an asshole to not just like women, but also kind of to his partners as well. Yeah. He takes what he wants, uh, you know, money wise, right? He gets Dan Aykroyd's character to get a third mortgage on his house so that they can go (laughs) into this business together. <laughs> four guys do you feel like you relate to the most like do you think that you're an Aegon oh my gosh Are you a Venkman I'm not a Venkman <laughs> I, I really don't think I'm a Venkman Aegon Aegon wants to do his job uh Aegon to me seems the most intelligent out of the few and as we learn he's real handy <laughs> <laughs> and he comes up under the desk. What the heck was going on down there, by the way? It seems a little spicy. I loved it. <laughs> um, I would say either Egon or Ernie Hudson's character. They both seem pretty straight and like just want to do their job, not not really out to be lecherous or get famous or anything like that. They're just like this is important to me, especially um, Ernie Hudson's character. He's just, he's literally just there for the job. I honestly didn't think too much about the four of them as being relatable because they all kind of seem like idiots. (laughs) (laughs) They are very, I think bumbling, the word that you used earlier is like a perfect (laughs) word for them. They are, I felt like if I were to relate to any of them, and and I ask this question because costumes uh, are super popular for these four guys mm-hmm. and a lot of people want the Venkman <laughs> name yeah. tag on theirs I, I kind of like Ray's character because he's kind of a, ha- a hapless lackey where he's like just trying to be helpful but is like <laughs> just kind of fumbling everything all the time yeah. he's just 
got like a good energy that I <laughs> I really relate to. Yeah, he's at least nice and he is excited to do the work. He's very excited about catching ghosts and every time they catch one, he's like, "We got it. We got it." He's so excited. The is so iconic to so many people and I just didn't understand why. <laughs> I get the cult following. I get that this is one of those movies that probably ages better if you saw it when it first came out. I can totally see why this would have been popular in the 80s. But uh, yeah, I don't want to get too far into the weeds on our recommendations. I think it sounds like we know where we're going. (laughs) I do want to talk about how bad they are with money. Yes. Let's talk about the unwise financial decisions these guys are making in the early 80s. Oh my God, you're right. They don't have any financial advisor. They don't have uh, a tax guy, right? <laughs> Which, you know, I think we get in the sequel, right? Rick Moranis joins joins their uh, crew and becomes the tax guy for them. So that's good at least. But financially, they're dealing with sums of hundreds of thousands of dollars and they're just doing this on a whim. They've no business plan. They they don't have a decent savings. Ray takes out is it Ray? Dan Aykroyd's character? Yeah, yeah. it's Ray. Ray takes out a third mortgage on his house at 19%. <laughs> Horrible. I was laughing that whole scene though. <laughs> Kate, is that I mean, I was looking up current rates on just, you know, a first mortgage, and it's around 5 to 6% all, all across the country, even if you have really bad credit. When, why, why would it be 19%? I cannot imagine why it would be 19% unless it's like, well, every time you take out another mortgage, right. we're going to just like have <laughs> penalty interest against you because it's starting to get scary. Um, or maybe there was some kind of like housing crisis or bubble at the time that was like driving the interest rates up. But it it is insane to think of a 19% oh interest God. rate on New York real estate. And not only that, but like a dilapidated firehouse that needs to be fully gutted. Oh inside. my god. <laughs> yes, the the transformation on the inside is nothing short of spectacular. I mean, it's it looks like it's cobwebby, it's falling apart. You can't stay there. And when they show it after it's been freshened up, it's just beautiful. It looks like a brand new firehouse and <laughs> lovely like painted walls, everything is in order. They've decorated. Uh, crazy. Crazy to me how much money was spent on this. And it's only the four of them. If you include Janine and then five once uh, Ernie joins. Oh my gosh. I want to say that these guys have book smarts, but no common sense. But I don't even know that they have like book smarts. Like I'm not convinced that they also have book smarts, even though I know that they're <laughs> academics. Yeah. I I found this article. You guys have to check it out. It's on the blog. Um, Inverse.com uh, had an article about 
about this very topic, right? Like how could they have made this work financially? I love these hypothetical <laughs> deep dives people go into for this, um, this sort of nonsense. And, um, the rent on this place would have been about 9,000 a month. And this is in 1984. <laughs> My God. <laughs> yeah. It's unfathomable. <laughs> it, you would have to about double it, right? For today, something like that. Something around doubling it or maybe even more. That's just unreal to me. And putting that on your third mortgage. <laughs> oh my God. I'd be so nervous. Guys must have massive business insurance too because they don't get in, do a job, and get out cleanly. They're going in and doing a job and destroying whatever place they were in to capture these ghosts. Oh, I know. <laughs> when they get. When they capture Slimer, they leave the event hall in such disarray, it looks like it'll take at least a month to fix it up. And there's supposed to be an event that night. <laughs> I know. And I can't like believe that a ghost would cause more damage than what they caused trying to catch this ghost. I know. Like it's he, Slimer <laughs> was like literally flying circles around the chandelier, just hanging out. And I was like, he's fine. Just go have your meal. <laughs> He'll yeah, stay he's up there. Yeah, he's not doing anything. And then them trying to catch him, they're like shooting plasma rays everywhere, <laughs> just destroying everything. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I was just mind boggled at how they could afford this. And this is a brand new technology. This is not something you can just go to the store and and be like, I'm going to go pick up a ghost trap. They have to <laughs> they have to design this and build this themselves. Where is that happening? <laughs> oh my gosh. Um so the firehouse was a huge expense. Also that car, that car that they got for $4800. This Cadillac, he goes through a list of things that it needs fixed, right? Like brake pads, brakes, the engine. I don't know. Just all these major elements to a car. And he paid 4800 for that car. That's what I'm saying is I'm like, <laughs> these guys, like, <laughs> who's letting them spend money? Like, put Janine in charge. I know. Uh, that would be like 13 k today for a car that doesn't, that's not, you know, really working. And I, so I was like, okay, maybe that's maybe that's how much Cadillacs are worth. Maybe that's how much they were worth at that time. But today, if you look up a a really well put together, well maintained Cadillac that's about twenty five years old, you don't see prices above like ten grand for, and that's for uh one in good condition. So man, these guys just keep getting bamboozled. Well. Dan Aykroyd keeps getting bamboozled. <laughs> <laughs> Terrible. I know. His character is really the one ponying up all the money for this. <laughs> yeah, I guess he gets to decide how to spend it. Oh, my gosh. Well, the studio also had their own money <laughs> concerns with this movie because they had $5 million in the budget for special effects. And they went over budget by 700 grand. <laughs> oh my gosh. That's a lot. It is. This is the first comedy to use major special effects. Yeah. I, I was 
so pleased by the special effects in this movie. There, there's a couple of scenes where you can tell something is being like superimposed. Um, the stop, the stop mm-hmm. motion animation, but they, a, I have a soft spot for stop motion animation. I love it, even mm-hmm. if it's really obvious. <laughs> <laughs> but they don't use it extensively. They they use it when they have to, and then they switch to actual like uh, puppets and and. Yep props you can touch if there's there's very little cgi and and uh superimposed animation which is really cool the stop motion usage is great um i like that they keep it to bulls and and, and <laughs> that portal world so it's like oh okay this is just how things from that dimension move i thought that that was really helpful i think the use of miniatures excellent really really good i just i I really like the practical effects and i think that the amount of time that they put into it was really worth it and i think that the fight that they had (laughs) to put up in order to spend that much money on the effects is probably one of the reasons why people still love this movie yeah it it ages well in that sense the funniest things i thought was Uh, in regards to the budget and the practical effects was Slimer's design. I love Slimer. So the design for (laughs) the Slimer design took six months. What? He's just a blob. (laughs) $300,000. Wow. um, Because they were struggling to compare to complete a design due to executive interference um, which if you work in design you yep. know exactly what that's like <laughs> <laughs> just add a little bit of thing here oh just change the color a little bit here yeah constantly over your shoulder telling you what to do <laughs> the worst this quote from the wikipedia just like made my day when i read it After struggling to complete a design due to executive interference, Johnson took at least three grams of cocaine and completed the final design in one night, (laughs) based in part on Ackroyd's and Ramus's wish for the creature to homage Belushi. What? (laughs) Slimer is John Belushi? Jim Belushi? Yep. Yep. (laughs) Okay. Uh... Yep. Can we pull up a side by side? Let's let's take a look at this. <laughs> we should put one on the blog. <laughs> Jim Belushi. I just don't think you look like Slimer. Take it as a compliment. I just love the <laughs> that he did a bunch of coke oh and God. just busted it out in one so night and good. was like, "This is what you're getting." <laughs> that is so eighties. I know. <laughs> love it and Slimer (laughs) you know I'm glad they did put a lot of work into Slimer he became like the mascot of the Ghostbusters he's featured on Ecto Cooler he was a good guy in the cartoon he was like their little helper it's what you think of when you think of Ghostbusters I think you think of the jumpsuits plasma (laughs) gun you think of the car and you think of Slimer like you like they're just like a couple like really like memorable things and i think that slimer is like really like disgusting in this movie <laughs> definitely <laughs> looks so gross yeah and he also makes a mess and he leaves his ectoplasm uh wherever he goes uh and his teeth are so gross super gross yeah can we talk about ectoplasm yeah let's do it <laughs> okay so 
<laughs> they they don't call it ectoplasm at first. They call it snot. Yeah. <laughs> and it covered looks in like snot. snot. Yeah. Does it look like snot? I mean. I didn't think it looked like snot. <laughs> I thought it looked like what I would expect snot to look like in that scenario. I mean, it's it's viscous. It's kind of clear and it's oozy. It's kind of it's kind of semen looking, is it not? Yeah, I I would just expect <laughs> <laughs> I expect my semen to be a bit cloudier than that, but I can see okay, sure, sure. Yeah, why you'd go there. Yeah, totally. It could totally pass for semen. There are kind of a few like penis jokes in this movie as well. So that wouldn't there, surprise me. <laughs> there's some boy humor, yeah. there's some bathroom humor in this movie. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Don't cross the streams. <laughs> I guess I mean I guess that's a pee joke, but as a as a person with uh you know a vagina and a vulva <laughs> I've never had to ever think about crossing peace no. jokes. <laughs> Thank- Thankfully, I don't want to be in that scenario. I have had to worry about peeing on my foot by accident, but that's about it. Yeah. I mean, that checks out yeah. camping. Yeah, we squat in the woods. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but yeah, uh, ectoplasm is a real thing. And not real in the fact that it exists. <laughs> but <laughs> Okay, I was going to ask. <laughs> but real in the fact that uh, occultists have a term for it and believe that it is a, a, a substance um, that comes from the body of a medium when they are in a trance. But like, it it just like comes from their body, like it like sloughs off their body while they're communing with other planes. Yeah, that's that's in a nutshell what what happens. Um, there's also a belief that it'll take the shape of a face or a body part, so it'll like help them get their trance across <laughs> to the people in the room. So interesting. Yeah. I had no idea. Yeah, so it's real. Look it up, folks. <laughs> <laughs> well, we did mention that while Venkman is pretty off-putting, um, there are some good jokes in this in this movie. And so Kate and I, we each picked our top three jokes. Kate, you did have to pick three. <laughs> and uh, we wanted to share them with each other and with you guys. All right. Should I do all three of my top comedy bits? Sure. Let's do it. All right. So a spoiler for all three of my comedy bits is that they are all Rick Moranis based. Okay. Because <laughs> <laughs> I really was looking for other moments involving other characters, but I was just so struck by how funny Rick Moranis was in this movie, even in like the tiniest, teeniest little bit part. And um, I had to give him credit for it. So number three was bag that Rick Moranis did a party that was actually successful. I know. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, he's like trying to get Dana to come to this party and you're like, oh God, this is going to be a trap. It's she's going to show up and it's going to be just her. And they walk down the hallway and it is a swinging party. It is like so fun and like so 80s looking. <laughs> They're playing Twister, right? <laughs> yes. Yeah. Oh my gosh. It's like, you know, 
on the turntable level of 80s party. It's yes. great. He's actually <laughs> gentlemanly towards her. I mean, he's a little like annoying because he doesn't know how to take a hint. I think that's part of his like him being a nerd. But he's nice to her. He invited her to the party. He wasn't setting her up to come on to her um, in, a, in an alone type situation. He turned up the volume on his TV so that she wouldn't get in trouble for her TV being on. It's like, this guy is kind of nice. Like, he's trying. Yeah. He's trying. He, he's a little nebbish, but like, yeah. he's great, actually. For the 80s, he's great. <laughs> All right, what's your number two? Standards then. (laughs) My number two was when Rick Moranis at that same party, the jacket on the demon dog. (laughs) Doesn't see it. Yeah, he just doesn't see it. He's like so, so into this party that he just like throws this jacket onto the dog. And I just, again, it's another good sight gag. I just thought it was really good. Yeah. And I like getting to see the uh, gargoyle puppy. (laughs) Kind of, kind of cool. Yes. And then my last one was Rick Moranis's dog as the key master. Oh my gosh. <laughs> it is pretty funny. I think that it was so funny. Like delivers it in such a great way. Glad to know that Rick Moranis um character um is in Ghostbusters 2 because just the the monologue that he gives as the key master this jargon about this other plane of existence um let me just read you this quote (laughs) during the rectification of the voldrini the traveler came as a large and moving torg (laughs) like he just keeps going like it's like none of it makes any sense to us because we have no idea what he's talking about and he plays it so straight it's so good him playing this demon itself is just really funny because yes. he his voice doesn't change, right? And his clothes <laughs> yes. don't change. He still looks like Lewis. <laughs> yeah. So good. Yeah. What were your top three moments? Oh, were they man. also all Lewis-based? <laughs> they were not all Lewis. In fact, <laughs> in fact, two out of three of them are Bill Murray. <laughs> Sorry. Oh, Sorry okay. about that. <laughs> but my number three was Dan Aykroyd blowing the property lease. I, I always, uh, I, I imagine that as me, like, that's how I would blow a, a deal. I'd be too excited, like not able to sleep. And like, I don't want to wait. I don't want to, uh, I don't want to check out any other places. This place is perfect. Uh, I just think it's so cute and childlike the way he does it. Yeah. He wants to stay there that night. Yes. It's very cute. <laughs> he, he comes down the fire pole with such glee. <laughs> And you know what? Uh, they don't they don't really build those anymore. They they stop putting those in firehouses. Oh, was it like a safety issue? Pretty much. Yeah. Oh, um, bummer. It's really interesting why those existed at all. Firehouses used to have horses because they used to have their fire carts pulled by horses. And so the bottom level was the stable where the horses were kept. Mm. And the top is where the firemen stayed. And they needed a way to avoid uh, the animals going to and, you know, up and down like stairs. They couldn't really have that. So they they brought in the fire pole. Yeah. And then it became tradition. But, um, you know, people fall the wrong way and they can break their ankle or they could just fall in (laughs) and die or whatever. (laughs) So, yeah. 
Okay, moment number two was Bill Murray. Uh, this was at the top of the apartment building, right? Um, right as they're fighting, is it Zool and Gozer? Mm-hmm. He's standing there with the other Ghostbusters and says something about I forget. I, I forget what is actually said, but they're like, "Yeah, we're coming for you." You know, like there, it's this like standoff situation, and he goes, "Go get her, Ray." <laughs> He like kind of cocks his head to the side. And he's like, "Go get a Ray," because <laughs> he's like a big talker, but he's really chicken shit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I thought that was funny. <laughs> My number one, I lol'd at this one actually, like not ironically. <laughs> this is when the uh, EPA guy shows up. Uh, he it's it's later on um, after he's been harassing the Ghostbusters for not getting clearance to collect ghosts like what paperwork could there possibly be for this they're talking about what will happen if they don't if they don't go and collect the ghosts if these guys go to jail and they can't go do their jobs you know the world will end the mayor says is that true and bill murray says yes it's true this man has no dick That was like a throw. It was like a throwaway thing earlier in the conversation about him, this EPA guy being dickless and and Bill Murray (laughs) brings it back and and everybody is reacting to it. And he goes, well, that's what I heard. (laughs) That is pretty funny. That is good. And and that's why I wish they could have just gotten rid of the shitty parts of Venkman. So we could have just had this gold the whole movie. So true. I love that they made a, a secondary villain in this movie, and it was yeah, the government, of course, the Environmental Protection Agency. <laughs> I was like, I can't be against this guy. I'm very cool with regulations that protect people and the environment, but he's such an asshole. I know he's such a jerk, and you're totally right. Like, what what permits would be filed? They invented ghost busting. <laughs> Oh my gosh. Like, do you think the, the ghost hunters have to file permits for dealing with uh, chasing ghosts in people's houses? Like, no, the stuff doesn't exist. They don't know what's going to happen. I know. And who goes into who goes into somebody's place of business where you think they're collecting poisonous material or a, a something similar and just says yeah turn off all the machines like what do you think is going to happen you you don't know like if you're from the EPA you should know better you should probably learn about what they've collected first he did also collect our favorite horror moments because as we work our way through this season we're going to be talking about our favorite comedy moments and our favorite horror moments in each of these episodes and Ostensibly, these things are supposed to be scary to some degree. Yeah, I, I had a, I, I have a feeling this uh, season will be a little tough, uh, finding the horror elements, um, because the the comedy is always so strong. But um, this Ghostbusters is no different. I had a tough time finding um, a lot of horror in this movie that that I felt I could list out. I did too. I I have my three and I tried to think of it very broadly. Like I tried to think about it like 
this was a movie that people would take their kids to go see. Mm-hmm. It was something that like kids really liked. And so maybe they weren't true horror, but maybe they were at least surprising. Um, so surprise, like moments that would be scary or maybe be a little bit shocking. Um, so I went a little bit broad, <laughs> broader than I probably would have. If I were just trying to treat this as a straight horror movie, I'd probably say like, there's nothing horror in this movie. This is just, <laughs> this is just four dunces chasing after some ghosts <laughs> in a <the> city. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. Number three. Are they was, all about Lewis? <laughs> no, I wish. <laughs> I tried to go for some variety for the horror, at least. First ghost they run into in the library, the transformation standard kind of Victorian looking ghost to a scary entity. I thought that that was a good shift. Yeah, that was a good shift in tone right away. I like that it showed that, you know, these ghosts look like they can be placid and fine, but if you start encroaching on them, that they will actually try and hurt you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So maybe I was wrong about Slimer. <laughs> yeah. Although I do think in the franchise, you're right, that they, they kind of rehab his image. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I also thought that uh, the first time Sigourney Weaver opens her portal fridge was surprising. <laughs> totally scary. I don't know what I would do. Yes. Um, it reminded me of, in another movie that we'll be talking about um, later this season, um, in Beetlejuice. Uh, just, you know, you open a door and then it is a gaping dimension <laughs> into some nightmarish place that is not of this realm. <laughs> yeah, that's always going to be scary. Yeah. And in your fridge, where's your food going to go? Yeah, that's the other part. I mean, now she's going to be hungry, which is also scary. Number one scary moment, um, which I thought was actually creepy, um, was when hands are coming out of the couch in Dana's apartment. Definitely. I was like, ooh, that is actually very creepy. And so I wanted to give that a little shout out. Yeah. I found that one really scary as well, but you took it. So I'm going to, I'm going to go with a different one for my, oh, great. For my top. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. Well, my number one was not necessarily the fridge itself, but just the the weird stuff that starts happening in her apartment kind of over time. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it's a little more broad, but just that feeling of not thinking you're going crazy, right? And you're seeing crazy shit happening and there's nobody around to to share that with, right? There's no nobody to back up what you saw. When the eggs explode in the carton, I was like, oh, that would freak me the fuck out. That's enough right there. That That shouldn't be happening. So I kind of just thought the whole apartment situation in general was was scary. One big obvious scare, uh, my number two, are the ghosts being released. This is uh, after our EPA man um, pulls the, the switch or orders the switch being pulled. And all of the ghosts that they have been collecting all get released all over New York City, all stemming from this one building all at the same time. And New York City becomes a fucking shit show. <laughs> is 
crazy. And it really shows you how productive they were actually being yeah. when they were catching ghosts. Turns out they were catching a lot of ghosts and a lot of different types of ghosts too. Yeah. Ghosts of uh, varying violence levels and uh, <laughs> scary levels. Yeah, that would be scary. Now everybody's dealing with this at the same time. The ghosts are like flying around out in the open and freaking people out. All right. Now this one, my my top horror moment might be cheating, but I'm going to have to go with it's it's Bill Murray getting the fucking girl. How horrifying <laughs> that was for me <laughs> as I realized this character <laughs> learned no lessons and got everything he wanted. Horrible. It is it is horror on a social level. It's like parasite. <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> totally. So uh, that's my story and I'm sticking to it. You know, I am happy to go right into recommendations because I would love to talk about why people like this movie so much. <laughs> <laughs> I really enjoy how much you dislike this movie. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, all right, let's uh let's let's get into it. I mean, sure, go watch this movie. It's <laughs> she said it's reluctantly. In the it's in the National Film Registry. Yeah. Like, it is in I can't even tell you the number of lists of best movies of all time that this is featured in. The movie was the highest grossing comedy ever when it came out man this movie over the like in 1984 it made like 280 million dollars wow and then they did a re-release some years later where it made like an another like 20 million dollars like it just like makes money it prints money because people love it video games sequels animated cartoons merchandise like there's just so much behind it that I think you owe it to yourself to like watch it start to finish um, so that you can also think that nostalgia has boosted this movie to unprecedented heights because it does not deserve this much credit. <laughs> oh my God, that is a spicy take. <laughs> it has a 97% on Rotten Tomatoes. It does, which I also agree is too high for this movie. It's, it's it's not tight. Absurd. Yeah. I think movies that are up that high need to be really, really tight. Schindler's List is 98%. Oh, my God. <laughs> this is almost as good as Schindler's List. It's one percentage point off from Schindler's List. Like, that's what I'm saying. Yeah. It has the same Rotten Tomato score as The Godfather. Like, what? I mean, yes, I know. This is what I'm saying. And then you go and watch it and you're like, yeah, I'm pretty sure there was like a cunnilingus joke in there at one point that wasn't even like like that didn't even make sense. I don't get it. There's a cunnilingus joke and then there's also a shot of Dan Aykroyd getting I'm guessing beat off by a ghost. It unzips his pants. Oh, that's right. <laughs> like what? <laughs> the, yeah, I mean it's both, right? Cuz uh, Egon goes yeah. under the table. Yeah. The the movie isn't tight. Um there's there's plot holes. The the heroes are not entirely relatable or really well fleshed out, I would say. Now, let's, you know, let's not blame the critics for why you shouldn't 
like this movie. I, I kind of like this movie. I think it's fun. I think it's worth watching once, um, at least. It's not scary. You're not going to get scared. Um, I would I would let my kids watch this one. I mean, I think a lot of the jokes would go over their head, which I'd be fine with. And um, maybe there's some cursing, but uh, it's it's a pretty family friendly movie in general, in general. Is it the greatest movie? No, but it does have it does have a lot of good moments and it's a relic. It's a relic of the 80s. You, you should probably see it <laughs> if you haven't seen it yet. There's a lot of reasons why you should watch it. I think even if you're like me, who happens to have a distaste for this movie, I think that you should watch it because it's one of those things that if you haven't seen it, people will go, what? You haven't seen Ghostbusters? You have to see Ghostbusters. <laughs> yes. And if you just want to avoid that inane interaction in your life, then you should watch this movie. True. <laughs> and we are definitely going to have to put a poll on our blog for this. Uh, we need to know if people like this movie or not. <laughs> Team Kate or Team Meg. <laughs> oh, I fully expect to be on the losing end of that. So my feelings will not be hurt if you vote against me. Um, but I would encourage you, if it's been, you know, 10 plus years since you've sat down to watch it, just give it a spin. See if it holds up. And then let me know your thoughts because I would be very curious to know. <laughs> all right. That's all we have for you this week. We will catch you next week with Cabin in the Woods. This was not quite dead. Check out our other episodes wherever you listen to podcasts. Follow us on Instagram at Not Quite Dead Podcast and on Twitter at NQD underscore podcast. Follow our blog for bonus content at notquitedeadpodcast.com. Thanks for listening and happy watching. <laughs> <laughs>